Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. If you guys are feeling generous today, I would really appreciate it if you would go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a review or rating or both. We would greatly appreciate it. Five stars is always a good idea. Thanks. I got a listener request today. Ah, I'm so excited. So I got the following email, and this is from our listener, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. So he wrote us and said, hey, ladies, awesome podcast. You're the first podcast I've ever listened to, and I am hooked. Thank you, Kenny. (laughs) My heart. (laughs) And... He said, I was wondering if you would do an episode on Brooke Wilberger. She was the first true crime that I really paid attention to. My sister was a student there when Brooke disappeared, and I was constantly going down to Corvallis to play Big Brother for my sister. When he says there, he's talking about OSU, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Although this story does not take place in OSU, it does take place in Corvallis. And OSU is Oregon State University for all of our non-Oregonians. He said, every slight thing freaked her out. Anywho, great podcast ladies, Kenny. So, first of all, thank you, Kenny. Kenny. That was so nice. I love you. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) We love that we are your first podcast, and we love that you are hooked. And most of our audience is female, which I is true of true crime in general. Right. um, That it leans a lot more female because it's a lot more dialogue-driven, I think, and less action-based that's visual, at least. Mm -hmm. I'm flattered that not only are we your first one, but that you're loving it. So thank you so much for emailing us and sending us a suggestion. Kenny, this one's for you. I was not familiar or I didn't immediately know what this case was because he referred to it as the disappearance of Brooke Wilberger. Sure. When I went back through my notes, I had wrote down the perpetrator in this, Joel Patrick Courtney, as a topic because I had stumbled across his name as an Oregon-related crime. So his name was written down in my notebooks to do at some point, but Kenny put it at the forefront of my thought and I I was in it. Great minds think alike. Yes. Thank you. You're the man. So we are going to be covering the disappearance of Brooke Wilberger today, who fell victim to Joel Patrick Courtney out of Oregon. The story starts with, obviously, Joel Patrick Courtney. If you are referring to yourself or anybody by three names, then you should immediately (laughs) be red flagging the situation. I will bounce around from referring to him as Joel and JPC because that's what I wrote down in my notes. JPC. So I just abbreviated it. Yep. Um, Probably JPC. Yeah. That's what I have it as. JPC was born on June 2nd, 1966, and he grew up in the Portland area. Portland, Oregon, to be specific, not Portland, Maine. His sister actually reported that he began using drugs around 11. So there was some pretty, I mean, yes and no. We just did Monty Russell, who was seven. Jesus. So we've we've seen some. Every time that still gets me because that is so fucking young. Some young abuse, but 11, (sighs) like. Good night. He's like fifth or sixth grade. Wow. He attended Beaverton and Sunset High School. Oh. So those are both in the Beaverton, Oregon school district. Right. Very local to us. Very local. He was sent to juvie for the first time at 15 years old. And it was about that same time that he developed an interest in Satanism. This is according to his sister. And Satanism does have a bit of a interesting connotation because it's often associated with worshiping the devil that's not necessarily the case it's actually a form of just like atheism if you will 
And the Satan aspect is brought in kind of as like uh, an irony flip off to Christianity, if you will. Yeah. I want to see how this plays a role. So. Yeah. It doesn't. But. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just talking about his religious preference. Great. Um, But the sister felt that it was relevant. Sure. To an outsider, someone that's not. And everything that I've read about him mentions this, although it never really ties it into the story. Weird. However, it is the antithesis of what she is. Hmm. So I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. Okay. But so he developed that interest in Satanism around that time. The sister claims that she woke up one night. She was about 14 years old and he was on top of her. He was partly, what? yeah, he was partly undressed and he had his hands around her throat. She said that she stopped him because she grabbed a clock and hit him on the head. Good for her. Yeah. I was like, that's right, girl. Mm. But this is what stopped him ultimately beating him in the head with a clock until he got off. He also had a cousin that told investigators that he had tried to sexually assault her on four separate occasions between the ages of 12 and 17. And JPC was about 14 to 19. So it happened several times over the span of about five years. Okay. She said first that she woke up to find him naked and straddling her, but he got off of her when he heard somebody walking up and down the hallway. And then she said about one to two years after that, she woke up to him groping her and, like, oh my God. filling up on her. A few years after that, she woke up to him unbuttoning her shirt. She said that she was too afraid to tell on him, that she was very fearful of him. Oh, that's so sad. He was 19 years old when he was convicted of first-degree sex abuse and first-degree attempted rape. This happened when his female friend was driving him home from a party he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol, and he tried to basically, like, grope her and get in her sure. shirt. She tried to stop him, and he punched her in the face. Whoa. I know. Like, dude, don't hit a girl. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how we always, like, react to somebody, like, punching a female in the face? Yeah. Because we're like, oh, no. Not we always yeah. have such a strong reaction to that, though. Maybe because a punch is so out of nowhere. I think, As though, opposed to... Rape is a process. I think it's what's ingrained into us. We're told from a young age that a boy does not hit a girl. Right. We are not told from a young age that a boy doesn't rape a girl. Right. Interesting, right? Very. But you don't hit a girl. Even like Ed Kemper was like, remember he had that whole story Mm -hmm. with the one girl and said to her like, oh, your friend is up in the front seat. She's bleeding because I hit her in the face. And then he was like, but I didn't. I didn't actually hit her in the face. Right. And that's what he was, like, fixated on. Don't think I hit her. I murdered her, but I didn't hit her. Jesus Christ. So, okay, yeah. So he punched her in the face. And then he, she stopped the car, at which point he proceeded to try and, like, pull her out of the car. I'm pretty sure he was successful in actually getting her out of the car and then tried to take her, rip her clothes off of her or whatever. She was able to kind of talk her way out of it. And he doesn't end up succeeding in raping her. Again, that goes to the attempted rape charge. Right. But part of the agreement in him stopping is that he's, she still has to take him home. So she takes him home, drops him off what? at home. Yeah, it just, like, it stops because she manages to talk her way out of it. She turns him into the police, and he pleads guilty and oh, serves three months with five years probation. Sorry. You can't hear me rolling my eyes. <laughs> But I definitely am. But there was an eye roll. God. 
He ended up violating that probation. And of course he, he did. Yeah. He went to prison for two and a half years based on the probation violation. Okay. Which is hilarious to me that the violation carried <sighs> a probation. two and a half year sentence, but not the actual act of what he did. Our system. I'm telling you. Joel actually got married in the 1990s. He ended up having three kids and he lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was described as angry, secretive, he drank too much, and he used crack cocaine. Oh. Winner. Yeah. In 2004, he moved in with his brother and his family in Portland, Oregon. So he came back home. Got Yeah. Okay. Joel started working with his brother-in-law at a company called Creative Building Maintenance in May of 2004. The company at this time gave him a minivan to use for work. What do we know about oh, minivans, no. people? God. So we know where this is going because he has a van. So God, I hate him so much. <laughs> he gets the van and we're like, oh, You know hell what's the no. frustrating part <laughs> is that unfortunately stupid ass people like this uh-huh. seem to get fucking lucky breaks or just life presents them with mm-hmm. opportunities, terrible opportunities. And but, minivans. And minivans. <laughs> God. So he gets. If life gives you minivans. <laughs> turn the other way. So he gets this van to use for work. It's a green van for anybody who cares. It's green. That is what he drives around. Now, remember, he starts this job in May of 2004, perceivably at the beginning of May. Sure. Because on May 24th of that same year, Brooke Wilberger disappears from Corvallis. Okay. Sorry. There's just a big geographical difference for those that aren't from Oregon, from Portland to Corvallis. Oh, yes, there is. I can't explain why. But he's building maintenance, so... It, it could be that they own properties yeah. all around the state, so... Okay. Okay. So JPC was supposed to appear in court that day for a DUI offense, but he never showed up. Okay. Now, Brooke Wilberger, to give you a little bit of background on her, she was a student at BYU. So she went to Brigham Young University, which was in Utah. She had just returned home for the summer, and she was working in Corvallis, near the OSU campus. She had like a summer job that she was working for her sister. Okay. And she was 19 years old. She was a pretty petite blonde. She attended high school in Eugene, Oregon, which is pretty close to Corvallis. They're in close proximity. She had three brothers and two sisters, and she was described as a devout member of the LDS church. So, like I said, she's kind of the polar opposite of JPC. Because of her religious affiliation and Mm -hmm. the fact that she's just a generally good human. Right. But JPC had actually tried to kidnap two other students that night before seeing Brooke. They both got away. So he was on a mission to accomplish something that night. Yeah. It was just a matter of opportunity again. After failing at kidnapping both of them, he saw Brooke cleaning lights at an apartment complex. This was a summer job that she did. She did, like, some cleaning and maintenance at an apartment complex. So she was cleaning off these lights on the outside of the building in the parking lot. And he pulls up next to her in his work van. He pretended to be a delivery man, and he approached her and pulled a knife on her. The DA's office described it as a type of cat and mouse situation that he kind of trapped her in the parking lot with no way out. And then when he approached her, he pulls the knife and he ends up forcing her into the van. Oh, fuck. Tenants of the apartment complex that she was at actually heard her screaming, and her flip-flops were found in the parking lot. Oh, fuck. 
So they knew that she was missing right away. Right away, which comes into play. He binds her with duct tape. It's detailed that he, when he kidnaps her, he takes her into the woods, then decides to go back into town to get some food. Like he goes and gets dinner because that's what they do. With her still in the van, all duct taped up. Are you shitting me? No. She's still, like nothing's actually happened to her at this point, except for the fact that he's kidnapped Kidnapped her her and tied her up. Takes her into town leaves her in the van while he goes and gets something to eat then goes back into the woods and he doesn't rape her until the following morning so she's just like sitting there with the anticipation terrified terrified all night long over the next 24 hours he rapes her and then finally bashes her skull in until she dies whoa yeah so he bludgeons her head until she's gone the fuck yeah i don't even have words for for how fucking terrifying that must have been for her Uh. I don't know. It makes Uh, me so nervous and uncomfortable. So I wish he would have choked on whatever food he went and got. Wouldn't that have been nice? Ah. Like a a nice chicken bone in there or something? God, just anything. I don't care if he choked on a milkshake. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Just if karma could have kicked in and just like the cherry or something. God, anything. (laughs) I don't think it's actually possible to choke on a milkshake. It melts. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> the police began searching for Brooke immediately based on a couple different things. One is that she was described as like this being completely out of character for her that she wouldn't just disappear. Normally they wait a certain period of time if it's an adult because adults they said are because they have the freedom to come and go. It wouldn't be out of the question for them just, like, not to check in because they're adults. And because she was 19, she doesn't qualify for the Amber Alert, so they don't put out an Amber Alert for her. But the family was, like, adamant, like, this is not in her character. And then based on the screams that they heard in the parking lot plus her uh, flip-flops being found, they knew immediately that, like, something was up. So they began searching for her immediately. The investigation into her murder and disappearance is considered one of the most publicized in Oregon history. Really? Her church actually helped organize some of the searches to try and find her. Wow. So they were super instrumental in pushing along the investigation and gathering searchers and doing search and rescue and stuff like that. I can only imagine the manpower mm-hmm. behind a congregation. Like that, yeah. Right. Efforts were strong, but ended up kind of being fruitless. They did have a suspect in mind. and Oh, they did? Yes, they did. But he ended up being cleared of it, and it was, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, it wasn't him. Sure. But I think they got a little sidetracked in the fact that they thought it was this they person. They focused on him. Yeah, they focused on him. It's not even worth, like, bringing him into it because it's not him. But they do spend a lot of time not eliminating him. So June of the same year, JPC's wife leaves him and returns to Mexico. Okay. Don't know why. Full. <laughs> I don't know if she knew or not. But she's like, I'm out. And she right. takes off back to New Mexico. He shows up two weeks later and cops are called for a domestic disturbance. Um, He's arrested and released in this case. So, yeah, he goes back to New Mexico. Brooke's case goes cold. And on November 30th of 2004, a student at the University of New Mexico is grabbed at knife point. Whoa. The assailant forces her into the back of a Honda, drives to a deserted parking lot, and forces her to perform oral sex on him. Oh, God. He then ties her up and drives to another parking lot. And as he gets out of the car, she manages to break free. 
Yes. And takes off. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I don't know her name. I think that she is, is it, probably protected. Right. I am under the impression yeah. that she is, and I'm not even under the impression. I know that she's a foreign exchange student. Mm. So my guess is that after this happened and everything like that, she she went home. She's gone. Yeah. Goodbye, America. Yeah. But good um, fucking riddance. Yeah. So she manages to break free, takes off running. She is found running down the street in just an unzipped jacket. Wow. She has her underwear around her neck that he'd stuffed in her mouth to keep her from me? screaming. Yeah. So she's still got it around her neck. And a woman driving by with her kids or whatever <gasps> sees her running down the street and then she gets like bolts into a Mexican restaurant. And it's the woman's kid that's like, you have to stop and help her oh or whatever. God. So she ends up making it safe. They take her to a hospital. She's treated for her injuries. Oh, God. Thank God someone drove by. Thank, Thank God. Thank God for yeah. this little kid. At the hospital, after she's treated for her injuries, she provides the police with a description for a sketch. And oh, the God. police start showing it around the neighborhood. And neighbors recognize the man as oh. a guy named Joe. Not okay. Joel, Joe. Okay. Who hangs around the neighborhood and frequents that area where she was actually abducted. Throughout all of that, they're able to actually bring it back to JPC. Oh, really? And attach it to him. Oh, good. And so when they show a lineup to her, she's actually able to identify him as the attacker. Thank God. He's arrested and charged with sexual penetration, kidnapping, and aggravated battery. He is sentenced to 18 years under a plea agreement. Okay. Now I know what you're wondering. How in the world do we know that he did what he did to Brooke? Uh-huh. How does this all come full circle? Right. Well, his older sister. You know sis- me so well. <laughs> mm-hmm. His older sister, the same one that provides us all the information about his childhood and upbringing, uh-huh. gets a phone call that her brother has been arrested and the details of the case are described to her. She hangs up the phone and sits and ponders it for a while and realizes that it sounds really familiar to the girl that disappeared in Oregon. And she talks about it with her husband and they kind of mull over it and they have that discussion of like, you don't think they're like related. They agree to sleep on it, pray on it. They agree to like give it the night, sure. see how they're feeling about it in the morning type like, thing. Like, are we just overthinking this? Yes. Whatever. Okay. But they don't get the chance to make a decision because law enforcement contacts them the next day. Stop. Mm-hmm. She begins working with them to get justice for Brooke Wilberger's really? family. So does his mom. Wow. Family effort. Holy fuck. Good job, ladies. So JPC's sister and mom actually aid investigators in building out a timeline because oh. they, and this is something that the sister said in a letter that she wrote to the court to be read at his sentencing. She apparently was sick in the hospital, couldn't show up, but she did write a letter to the court. This is all detailed in that letter. She's very convinced of the fact that he did it. Okay. But she basically said she realized that he could be a likely suspect for this because of the fact that she knew he was in Oregon during this time. And then shortly after this happened, showed up in New Mexico and then fleed. Yeah. Right. And they're so similar as far as how the attacks occurred in a parking lot, held up. Raped. Yeah. In August of 2005, JPC is charged with 19 counts of aggravated murder, kidnapping, sexual abuse, rape, and sodomy. And some form of anything in between. Damn. 
Yes. His green van was at, actually witnessed by people leaving the scene, and they ID'd it. Oh. So his minivan ends up being a downfall for him. Thank God. Um, there was one eyewitness that saw the van driving erratically or whatever, and so it was he was able to say, like, yes, that is the van. It was here at this time. Mm -hmm. This is what I witnessed type thing. So it places him at the scene of the crime at the same time. And then with the van, they were actually able to recover the van, although they have not said where it was recovered. It wasn't recovered in Oregon and it wasn't recovered in New Mexico. I don't know where they found it, but it did have Brooke's DNA still inside the van oh. along with her hair. Oh. Yes. <sighs> He was extradited back to Oregon on April 8th of 2008, and he was charged with all of these counts, despite the fact that they still didn't have Brooke's body. Oh. Interesting, right? They were able to charge him with murder, sodomy, rape, without actually having any forensic evidence of anything that had been done to the body, because they don't have the body. But they still move forward with the charges. So that whole thing about no body, no crime doesn't actually apply here. They move forward. All circumstantial. Yes. Based off of the sister's timeline, the IDing of the van. The prosecutor announces that he's going to seek the death penalty in this case. Wow. He's like, I don't care. I'm going in. Full hammer. Guns a blazing. I don't Fuck care if yeah. I have a body. And apparently manages to scare the ever-living hell out of JPC because he agrees to a plea deal. Oh. He settles on guilty to aggravated murder, a sentence of life without parole in exchange for the location of Brooke's body. <gasps> that is the offer on the table that he accepts. Wow. Had this deal not taken place the way it had... They have said that they would have never found Brooke's body so because of how woods. well hidden it was. Really? Yes. The deal was also written into effect so he could serve out his sentence in New Mexico, despite the fact that he only owed them 18 years. Mm -hmm. He was able to do the life sentence in New Mexico instead of Oregon. Why is that? I don't know. That's just how they did the Interesting. deal. So he would rather have done it in New Mexico, presumably to be closer to his family. Oh, that, that would make sense. That would be my that logic on it. That's um, a good assumption. Yeah. But they agreed that even though he only owed New Mexico 18 years, sure. New Mexico agreed to hold on to him for the life or whatever, That's which interesting. is interesting to me because you'd think they'd be like, taxpayers would be like, Fuck hell yeah. no. Right. Yeah. But that's the way it carried out. I don't question it. He's doing life without parole. I'm not paying for it. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he was... Uh, allowed to serve it out in New Mexico in exchange for the location of Brooke's body. Brooke's body was recovered in the woods on an abandoned logging road out towards the coast. It was buried in a way that it would not have been found without the information. Really? Yes. They have never released the exact coordinates of where the body was found. They've only given the general description of the area, and they recovered it the same day as the plea agreement oh, was, was signed. Agreed. Yes. Brooke's mom actually gave a statement at... Was it a hearing or press conference or something like that where she said she was actually grateful to JPC for giving them the location of the body so she could have closure? Right. Which I can't even fathom telling somebody like that that I was grateful to them. I can't even fathom it. But she said that it was crucial in her having that closure and being able to move on. Of course. 
The sister in the case in her letter said that it was heartbreaking, obviously, that she still loved her brother, but she knew that what was ultimately important here is that a young woman was robbed of her life and right. that a family was left without answers and she needed to make sure that she provided all the information that made it possible for them to have closure. That is very interesting that the sister and her husband, the mom. Yeah, that they were because like. Because they didn't know mm. about what had happened to Brooke yet as far as like rape and whatnot because her body wasn't right. found. But the disappearance and where it happened and everything, because again, this was such a publicized right. story, made itself all the way to Dateline, NBC, that kind of stuff, okay. that they had heard about it. And that it happened in a parking lot. It happened young to a young girl. college student. That I, My understanding is that they looked very similar. So oh. that played a role in it as well. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, they were instrumental in making sure that he was caught for this. That's a very, I'm sure it's difficult for them, but I'm glad they did what they did. Yes. As far as the sister and the family. Me too. To feel so exposed in what should be a safe community would be really scary so shout out to the brothers who to the big brothers protecting their sisters <laughs> i love it that's crazy yeah i'm so glad that they connected the dots that just blows my mind i know across state lines like that yeah that is and very interesting if she hadn't gotten away the student in new mexico right how many more would he have done right and they've suspected that he's behind more, but they've never been able to tie him to things or. Yeah, that the girl that got away. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that she did. Yeah. And the fact that she was of sound mind to A, run, mm -hmm. B, get help. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't just go home and keep quiet. Well, and they said that she had also, she had a very thick accent. Mm. So thank God that the communication barrier, if there was one, was not one that was strong enough to right. actually hinder them creating a really accurate sketch, them right. being able the to identify. Part. Yeah. Because that, I can't imagine being in that situation of terror. Yeah. And having, like, being in the right headspace to be like, I'm going to get out of this. I need to remember what the fuck he looks like mm -hmm. and anything important so right. I can help law enforcement like get him yep that is incredible yeah i really wish we knew her name she's a fucking hero i i do too and i 100 percent agree but i'm also kind of glad that she is protected. that's true that and that's with you know because this piece of human garbage is also still alive so <sighs> yeah god but he's doing life without parole so I hate people rot. that just cost taxpayers money. I know. But at least he's doing it not in Oregon. Jesus. Although he did do some time in Oregon. I know that he was at uh, Oregon State Penitentiary for a while. So, like, he has cost us money. <laughs> but New Mexico, you can have him. <laughs> we don't want any of yours in return. No. <laughs> Consider it a gift. It's not. It's, yeah, we're not doing an exchange program here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that is... The Disappearance of Brooke Wilberger, it's a short, quick hit, but I'm really glad to cross his name off my list. And Kenny, thank you for emailing me again and putting this at my forefront so we could get it knocked out for you. 
If you have more things that you would like to hear or suggestions and stories that you want to remind us of, have us tap into, a couple ways you can hit us up and let us know. You can email us at astrangerdangerpodcast at gmail.com. You can go follow us and leave comments on our Instagram page at astrangerdangerpodcast. You can follow us on Facebook and also go tell a friend to follow us on Facebook at Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast. Which is actually where Kenny emailed us at. So yeah. you can do that as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at SD True Crime Pod. Thank you so much, you guys, for the quick hit. And we'll see you next time. Toodaloo.